And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. We're going to be taking a look at the cost of discipleship today. Well, in case you haven't figured it out yet, uh, it's 2021. And I wrote my first check this morning and I put 2021, so I was proud of myself. Um, 2020 was a little different, wasn't it? Uh, it's the first time in my knowledge, in my memory, that you were not allowed to meet as a church body on Easter. And basically a month on either side of that as well. COVID-19 has had, I don't know, somewhat of a stranglehold on America and still does to a, a, a little degree. That's why we have social distancing here in the sanctuary and some of us are wearing masks and what have you. And um, you know, it's a serious thing, but there is some humor. Uh, I've got a few memes that I want to... What are you doing? Okay. You, what? You just said, hey, here's some memes. And I, and I thought you were just doing me a solid and giving me some memes. <laughs> Give me a second and I'll have your memes right for you, sir. Okay. Fresh memes just for you. My bad. Yeah, we, you know, it, it's, it's, I'll, here, I'll give you a little lesson. Uh, there's some stuff that went without being said, and I assume that he knew what I was talking about. We do that all the time. Uh, in the Bible, believe it or not, the Bible does the same thing. The writers, they leave things out, and they're, they're things that go without being said in their culture. What do we do when we come to those things? We fill them with our culture. And our culture is nothing like the culture that the Bible was written in. So we've, we've got a lot of work to do. Okay, here you go. When coronavirus shuts down school, you got the farm parents. Yeah, city parents are, oh no. All right. Says me after I eat all of my quarantine snacks in one night. Poor fella. This one uh, is working from home. The lady on her computer got her children tied up there. Yeah, working from home. Uh, this is socks talking to each other. Stay together or you'll end up as toilet paper. This is game. Game of Thrones Corona Edition. And I think this is my favorite. Your COVID test, your COVID-19 test came back positive. That can't be correct. I have more than 300 rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> now, we laugh and there, you know, there's, there's a lot of things to laugh at. But let's face it, COVID-19 has taken a toll. Uh, just last Monday, Terry Gregory, pastor of Wood Run Baptist Church in Tallahassee off of Appalachia, passed away with COVID. Uh, man about my age and so you know just pray for um, them and for the church as they're just grieving all of that and there is an awful uh, a lot of, of you know sickness out there uh, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and mention this now while I'm thinking about it some of you uh, may know Miss uh, Hazel Benton passed away uh, last Thursday Hazel and Dick always sit right back there uh, so Miss Hazel went on to be with the Lord. Now I, I don't I don't have her obituary yet. Uh, the 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 the, um, 
they're doing a small graveside service tomorrow at 11 o'clock and I'll be officiating but uh, I think she was 92 years old her and Dick had been married 72 huh she was 90 okay Dick is 92 then 94 okay well they've been married 72 years so be praying for Dick and the boys uh, their sons and the rest of the family um, she was ready Lord she she loved the Lord she was ready to go home so uh, we, we rejoice in that, but still pray for the family. All right, well, as we move forward in 2021, I thought that our passage in Luke today was quite appropriate for a New Year's message. Uh, it's looking at the cost of discipleship, and this is something that we all should be thinking about. Uh, do you remember George Gallup, Gallup polls? He contends that fewer than 10% of evangelical Christians could be called deeply committed. What does that mean? 90% are not. All right? Most of those who profess Christianity don't know the basic teachings and they don't act differently because of their Christian experience. George Barna found in a later survey that 46%, 46% nearly 50% of evangelicals read their Bible only once a week or less. Okay? Now, our last time in Luke 14, we saw God's free invitation of the gospel. He provided everything at his expense, and he invites sinners to come to his great dinner, his great banquet. You can't bring anything. You can't do anything to uh, deserve an invitation. It comes totally of God's free grace. Well, our text this week makes what seems like a rather abrupt shift, and it shows us the cost of following Christ. It teaches us that to truly follow Jesus Christ, we must consider the cost and put Him first above everything else. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come today, just to a fresh new year before us, uh, 2020 in the rear view, as it were, we ask that you would give us a sense of your presence once again uh, in our lives, uh, Father, in our church. Help us to understand this morning, just through, through Jesus' words and this message, Father, the cost that he says is, is, is part of following him. Lord, I pray that you would uh, use it to, to pry us, to poke us, to prod us, to move us in that direction of looking more like your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, salvation is both absolutely free, and yet it costs you your very life. You receive it freely at no expense to you. You did not have to pay anything for it. But once you receive it, You've just committed everything you are and everything you have to Jesus Christ. Now, you may protest and say, well, that sounds like a contradiction. How can something be both free and costly at the same time? Well, let me illustrate. Let's pretend that I wanted to climb Mount Everest. And I promise you, we are pretending because I do not have that desire. I've seen too many movies. But the truth is, it costs about $75,000 to do it. And I don't have $75,000 just hanging around. But some wealthy businessman hears up and he says, Oh, I would like to, to do this for you. I'll, I'll pay for everything. He buys all the expensive clothing, all the gear, uh, the transportation to get there, the guides, the training. He pays for everything. But if I accept that free offer, <laughs> yeah, then it's I've committed myself to months of just... Difficult training, arduous effort. In fact, it's putting my life at risk because many good climbers die trying to climb Mount Everest. 
So it's free, yet it's extremely costly. All right, well, Jesus Christ freely offers the water of life to everyone who thirsts. That's clear. But we need to understand that when we receive that free offer, we're no longer our own. Paul says we are bought with a price. So to truly follow Christ, we've got to consider the cost and, and, and not begin to follow Him superficially, only to turn back later when things get tough. People do that all the time. And that's what Jesus is warning against here in our text. So first thing I want you to see is it is possible to follow Christ superficially. Verse 25 is really crucial for our understanding of the rest of the passage. It says, great multitudes were going along with Him. Going along with Him. Every pastor would love to have that as a problem. <laughs> right? Uh, every ministry desires more followers. Pastors of large congregations, they get their books published. They get to speak around the world because they're considered successful. And we tend to measure success by numbers. But Jesus was different. Large crowds didn't fool him. He knew that many were following him for selfish or superficial reasons. It was, it was an exciting thing to do. Everybody was doing it, right? Maybe you or someone you knew would get healed at one of these meetings with Jesus. But Jesus was not a false recruiter. He wanted to weed out those who followed him for superficial reasons. Because when the battle heated up, he knew that they would fall away and would cause just trouble for his cause. So he turned to this great multitude and he laid out what we're calling the demands of discipleship. Now, at the outset, I need to point out that there are many in evangelical circles who draw a sharp contrast, a distinction between salvation and discipleship. Salvation, on the one hand, they say, is God's free gift, while discipleship is very costly. They would also say that while everybody ought to pursue discipleship, it's not linked to saving faith. In other words, there are some who are truly saved but who never commit themselves to being disciples, followers of Christ. They say it's possible to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, but not to follow Him as Lord. Now, that was a huge controversy 20, 25 years ago. I can't find any basis for such teaching in the New Testament, and I can pl find plenty of verses that refute it. To believe in Jesus Christ as Savior necessarily entails following Him as Lord. Salvation is not just as a decision that a man makes. It is the mighty power of God in raising a dead soul to eternal life. God, Paul, Paul says, God who began that good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, the new life that God imparts it inevitably results in a new way of life in accord with its nature, namely growth in holiness. The seed of the Word will bear fruit unto eternal life. Now, while believers must grow as disciples, and we, we never perfectly arrive in this life, let's face it, we, we, we know that. If a person claims to be a believer, but he's not seeking to grow in obedience to Christ, then he's fooling himself. He's saying, Lord, Lord. But on that fearful day, he may hear those awful words. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. 
In Paul's words, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Now, that's Titus 1.16. So it is possible to follow Christ superficially, and it's to such followers that Jesus lays out the cost of discipleship. He's got this huge crowd following Him, and He says, y'all, you need to understand what you're getting into. He knows that the battle is going to be intense, and He doesn't want to recruit anyone under false pretenses. So, number two, to follow Christ truly, we must consider the cost. We've got to consider the cost. Think about the phrases, sit down and calculate the cost. That's referring to the man building the tower. And sit down and take counsel. That's referring to the king considering going to war. Both refer to careful, detailed, rational thinking in which you consider all aspects of what you're getting into before you make the commitment. Now such careful thinking, that's opposed to an impulsive decision made in a moment of intense emotion uh, without much thought of the consequences. All too, all too often, a decision is based more on emotion than on careful thought about what it really means to follow Christ. Now here Jesus says to the crowds who were inter interested enough to be going along with him, consider the cost of following me. So we've got to consider the cost, first, of following Christ. Now Jesus spells out three costs. Number one, we must hate our families and ourselves. Now, right from the get-go, you say, what? Doesn't the Bible say that we are to love our families? Doesn't the Bible say that no man ever hated his own flesh? Is Jesus contradicting the Bible here? Well, of course not. But he puts it in these terms uh, for shock value to get us to stop and to think about the stringent demand that he is making. He means that our allegiance and our love for Him must be so great that by comparison, our love for our families and even for our own lives looks like hatred. Now normally, there's no conflict between loving Christ and our family members also. Most of the time, that goes hand in hand. But sometimes a tug of war develops. I know some of you in here have gone through this. And some are going through this. It's where a family member puts pressure on us to back off from or even abandon our love for Christ. Now, in those difficult situations, we don't love either Christ or the family member if we give in to the pressure. We don't love the family member because if we bow to the pressure, we are saying that Christ is not worthy of being followed above all others. And we keep the loved one from seriously considering the claims of Christ. Neither do we love Christ because we have put a sinful human being, the one who wants us to deny Christ, we've put him who did not give himself for our sins in a higher place than the spotless Lamb of God who did give himself as a sacrifice for our sins. The late theologian philosopher Francis Schaeffer his life, his books have impacted literally millions uh, for Christ. He was raised in a non-Christian home. After he became a Christian, his father didn't want him to go to college and certainly didn't want him to become a minister. And that's what young Fran thought that God had called him to be. When the moment finally came when 
he had to make the decision to go with what the Lord wanted him to do or to submit to his father's wishes, which were very different. Fran asked his dad in a, in a kind of strained voice, Pop, give me a few minutes to go down into the cellar and pray. And in fear and in uncertainty, he went down there and he wet just hot tears of sorrow for his father. Then, in an act of desperate and really simple faith, he did something that he would never advise anybody else doing, but he thought it was right for him at the moment. And he prayed, Oh God, please show me. And he took out a coin. He says, If it's heads, I'll go in spite of my, my dad's desires. So he flips it. It's heads. Still weeping, he cried out, God, be patient with me. If it's tails this time, I'll go. You can guess what it was. It was tails. The third time he pleaded, one more, God. I don't want to make a mistake with, mistake with Dad upstairs. Please now, let it be heads again. So he flips it, and of course, it's heads. So he goes upstairs, and he tells his dad that he literally had to go. An option, he had to go. His dad looked hard at him. Then walked out of the room, meaning to slam the door. And right before the door hit the, um, the jam to make all the noise, he, he shouted out, I'll pay for the first half year. Now, it was many years later that Fran's dad came to know the Lord. But Fran thinks that this moment was the basis of his salvation when Fran, in effect, declared, I must follow the Lord. Do you see about hating? He didn't hate his father. He loved his father. But he had to go against his wishes. Now, as a Christian young person, you should seek to be obedient to your parents in all things unless they are asking you to go against what God wants you to do. You should appeal to them really in a submissive manner because they are your parents. But if it comes down to a choice to obey your parents and disobey Christ or to obey Christ and disobey your parents... You must always follow Christ. Same for, uh, let's say, a Christian wife. You may have an unbelieving husband who says, I don't want you to go to church. Now, while you, you've got to seek to be the most loving and pleasant wife that you can be, you've also got to explain to your husband that following Jesus Christ is more important to you than any relationship on this earth. Now, that's the clear implication and application of verse 26. When Jesus says that we must hate even our own lives, again, He means in comparison with our love for Him. Now, normally, when we follow Christ, He lovingly gives us the desires of our hearts. He floods our lives with joy and, and true pleasure. But there are times when it's easy to give in to that immediate gratification of the flesh, and it's hard to obey Christ. The disciple has thought this through beforehand, in advance, and he's committed to following Christ. Well, the second thing that we, in terms of counting our cross, verse 27, or counting the cost, verse 27 that says that we have to carry our own cross. Now, we went through this back in chapter 9, verse 23. The cross was not an implement of irritation or mere inconvenience. The cross was an implement of slow, torturous death. Jesus here is looking at the process of daily death to selfish desires. 
and to the willingness to bear reproach for His name's sake. Now, since our, our Savior suffered the rejection and the agony of the cross, if we follow after Him, we've got to be prepared for the same treatment. Jesus said, if they treated me this way, they're going to treat you just the same. If people revile us for being Christians, what are we supposed to do? We bless them in return. We should never do anything to provoke uh, persecution, but if we suffer for the sake of righteousness, Peter tells us that we have to entrust our souls to the faithful Creator in doing what is right. Now again, this is a process in which we almost grow, right? We never, we never arrive, and if we blow it, what do we do? We confess it to the Lord, and we seek to be the obedient to Him the next time we have opportunity to suffer for Him. But if we aren't involved in the process of carrying our own cross in death to self, we're not on the path of the disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, number three, third cost, we must give up all of our possessions. This is verse 33. After telling the two parables about considering the cost before making a commitment, Jesus concludes, So therefore, no one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. That's rather stark, isn't it? Does Jesus mean this literally? Does He mean that we have to get rid of everything that we own and take a vow of poverty in order to serve Him? What does He mean? Well, I believe that Jesus is getting at the fact that there are two possible lords that we can serve and these two are um, mutually exclusive. And that's God and mammon. Most of us think that we can combine them with God taking the lead, of course. Yeah, yeah, I'll serve God mostly, but I'd also like to serve money. And I wouldn't mind if it served me some. Jesus says that won't work. He says quite plainly in the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot serve God and mammon. In other words, you can't just add Jesus to your already materialistic lifestyle as a way of rounding out your spiritual needs. Paul says that to be a Christian means that you have been bought with a price and you're not your own. Do you understand that, that if, as a believer that nothing you own is actually yours? You become the slave of Jesus Christ and He owns everything. Now I like the way that Juan Carlos Ortiz tells the story of the pearl of great price. It's a parable, right? We're familiar with that. A man sees this pearl and he says to the merchant, the merchant, I want this pearl. How much is it? And the seller says, well, it's very expensive. Well, how much? A lot. Well, do you think I could buy it? The man says, oh, yes. Any, everyone can buy it. But I thought you said it was expensive. I did. And it is. Well, how much? Everything you have, says the seller. And the, the, the guy says, okay, I'll buy it. What do you have? Well, I have $10,000 in the bank. Okay, and he writes it down. $10,000, that's mine. What else? Well, there's nothing more. You don't have anything else? Oh, well, yeah, I've got some change in my pocket. How much? 100 bucks. Oh, okay, 100 bucks. That's mine. Uh, what else? Uh, well, there's nothing else. He says, where do you live? And he goes, oh, yeah, in a house. Yes, I own a house. He goes, house, mine. He writes it down. And he says, well, where do you expect me to sleep? In my camper? Oh, you have a camper? Mine. Camper. And he said, well, if I can't sleep in my camper, does that mean I have to sleep in my car? You have a car? I have two. Okay, they're mine. And he writes it down. 
He says, look, you've taken my money, my house, my camper, my cars. Where is my family going to sleep? Oh, you have a family. Yes, a wife and three children. Mine. He writes them down. Suddenly the seller exclaims, oh, yes, and you too. I forgot about that. Everything becomes mine. Wife, children, house, money, cars, and you too. And then he goes on, now listen. I'll allow you to use these things for the time being. But don't forget that they're all mine, just as you are. And whenever I need any of them, you must give them up. Because I am now the owner. That's what Jesus means when he says that we must give up all of our possessions in order to be his disciple. He isn't just Lord of a tenth. That's a very Western thing. Yeah, we give a tenth and think that we can do whatever we want with the, 90, the, the other 90%. No, that other 90% is to glorify him as well. You see, we're just managers of the whole 100% that He gives us. And we're managers for Him. Now, of course, in return, we gain all of the riches of heaven for all eternity. It's really not a bad deal, you guys. But still, we need to sit down and determine, if we follow Jesus as Lord, it's going to cost us everything from our families to our possessions to our very lives. We've considered the cost of following Him, but there's also a cost of not following Him. And Jesus marks that out here. If we make a profession of following Christ, but then go back on our commitment, people are going to ridicule us as they would mock a man who started to build a tower, but couldn't complete it. Now, even as a young boy, um, between the ages of 8 and 12, my dad started a church over in Apalachicola. It's Magnolia. It's still sitting there. Magnolia Baptist Church. It's on the corner of 12th and 24th, across from Magnolia Cemetery. That's why it's called Magnolia Baptist Church. And so for four years, we would drive every weekend. Daddy would leave on Wednesday, and he'd be there Wednesday through Sunday night. But me and Mother would leave uh, after school on Friday. And we'd stay Friday, Saturday, and we'd drive two cars back. Well, on the way there, it was somewhere over in Mexico Beach. Back then, you just drove 98 the whole way. You just, you just drove 98. Exactly, 120 miles. I remember that. But I, I knew this verse. I remember because I would see this place that had been started to be built and the whole time there was, it, it was, you know, a few, it was cleared off lot and the, the foundation was there and there were pipes and some of the wall had been built but it just stopped. And there was never another block or brick or anything added. And it dawned on me from this, people are mocking this person because he couldn't finish what he started. So we need to sit down and consider the cost when we think that we're, yeah, we're ready to follow Christ. Well, you don't want them looking at you and saying, yeah, he claims he became a Christian. Some Christian he is. Look at him now. We could face the, fam the damaging effects of being defeated by the enemy because we did not consider the intensity of the battle of, that we were facing. Satan loves it. When a Christian testimony is ruined because he didn't consider the demands of following Christ in this evil world. Now Jesus uses a third illustration to show the cost of not following him. And that's of salt that has become tasteless. It's lost its saltiness. The salt in Jesus' day was often corrupted with other substances. If moisture hit the salt, 
it would evaporate and leave behind these other impure materials so that the salt lost its saltiness. It was worthless for any useful purpose. It had to be simply thrown away. Jesus is saying that if a follower of his doesn't live as he ought to live, he is useless to God. Now, whether Jesus is referring to a false believer being judged or to a true believer maybe being taken out of this life because of his sin, it's a little ambiguous. It doesn't matter. Either way, I don't want it to happen to me. The point is, follow Christ Jesus by putting him above everything else in this life so that you're useful to God. Now, that's the last thing we just have to briefly consider here. Number three, to follow Christ truly, we must put Him above everything else in this life. Jesus clearly asserts His absolute supremacy, His authority in these verses. What mere man could rightly claim that everyone must hate their closest family members in comparison to their love for Him? We would rightly call such a man a cult leader unless he were God in human flesh. What man could tell his followers to follow him into death? Jim Jones did that and we labeled him a lunatic. But Jesus Christ could do it because he is God. What man could tell people to give up all their possessions for his sake? Well, some modern cults require that of their believers and we rightly label them as false. But Jesus could do so with authority because He is the Lord. He alone deserves to be first in everything else in all of our lives because He is the Lord God. He willingly offered Himself on the cross for our sins. Now Jesus' words here, they're tough. They're sobering. We all fall short. But we must be honestly, uh, we get to honestly work at applying them to our hearts. Now, is there any relationship that comes ahead of Christ in your life? This is a time of self-examination. If He is first, then obviously you're going to be spending consistent time with Him in His Word, in prayer, in devotion. You won't be, I mean, you, you will be fellowshipping with Him every day. You won't allow other relationships to draw you away from that obedience to Him. Uh, you'll confess You'll forsake every sin that hinders fellowship with Him. Is He the Lord of, the, of your plans, of, of your thoughts, of all that you do? Or could you selfishly be clinging to your plans, to your way, instead of, instead of seeking to please Him in all things? If you don't hate your own life and daily carry your cross, you're not His disciple. Is He the Lord of your finances and your possessions? Are you faithful in managing these things for His purposes? Do you give generously, generously, generously and faithfully to His work? Or could the love of money be simply choking out the Word in your life? Salvation is absolutely free. But once you receive it, it costs you everything. To truly follow Christ in 2021... We've got to consider the cost and put Him above everything else. Jesus closes out this passage with some simple words. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Most of the crowd didn't hear. 
I hope that you hear this morning and understand that, yes, salvation is free, but boy, is it costly. It's the rest of your life. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for more tough words from Jesus uh, that just show us the truth. Lord, there are many who say, Lord, Lord, and, 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 and live a life that doesn't look any different than the world. And Father, there's a day coming when He will look at them and says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work iniquity. So God, I pray that today that we wouldn't be part of that group, uh, Lord, that we would be the ones that say, yes, we want to follow. We want to be true disciples. And Lord, that we would count the cost because it is a costly thing to follow you. This world was set against you and this world is set against your followers. God, it's the way you designed it. So help us to be strong. Help us to fight the good fight and show others the way to your Son, Jesus. And it's in His precious name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, if you're sitting out there, maybe you have never considered following Christ at all. And I hope I don't scare you away in what I've said this morning. It is free. And it is life-changing. But it is costly. Because you belong to Him. Once you give your life to Christ, He owns you. As Paul says, you've been bought with a price. So... It's a high price. He owns you. He's got, he's got plans for you as a believer. All right? And they're glorious plans. Um, but they're costly plans. I hope that you're willing to make that, I don't know, sacrifice this morning. Uh, willing to die uh, on the cross to crucify yourself. Uh, you do that simply by turning to Christ. Asking to ask God to forgive your sins. Uh, put your faith in Jesus and trust in Him. If you're a believer, that's, that's mostly who this sermon is for this morning. Just pointing us forward and saying, look, if you're going to follow Christ, there's a cost that comes with it. All right? Consider that cost. And the cost for each of us is different. I acknowledge that up front. And that cost is really between you and God. So I encourage you, spend some time with Him. Get Him to reveal to you what that cost is. And, then, and as, as, as I believe it was Tyler prayed, give us the courage to follow after it. Whatever it is, reveal it and then give us the courage, the stamina, the strength, whatever we need to follow after it, to do it because it will make a difference. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.